Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shwinnie Poo. This is episode 29. I am joined by a, uh, I don't even know how to, a frequent guest of the pod. His name is Jordan Cohen. You can follow him on Twitter at sports underscore by underscore stats. Uh, Jordan, how are you doing? How are you enjoying the uh, Winter World Cup? Uh, hey, yeah, I'm doing great. I've actually weirdly not watched a lot of the World Cup. Like, I think partially because it, it's weird. It's a weird time of year, right? And it coincides with NBA season, which is just more fun, but also, like, weird human rights stuff in Qatar. So, kind of, <laughs> like, not watching as much as I thought I would. Yeah, steering clear, huh? Uh, all right. Well, before we get started, I do have to make an announcement that Strickland as an Instagram, check that out. Give us a follow on there. You can follow us at the strict.land on Instagram. Uh, plenty of cool content that we're putting up there. So uh, again, please give us a follow. That is at the strict.land on Instagram. We also have a YouTube page that is functional. You may even be watching this podcast on there. Uh, so please, if you are, hit like, subscribe, help us get to a thousand. That would be a huge help. Uh, and finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you may have heard. Uh, there are a few tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Discord where the conversation never stops. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week that is hosted by Andrew Steele, aka Doug, aka the Doug bag. There's Further tiers, there's a $9 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Strick and Roll, that I host, and where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Cullen and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier that's come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, everybody's heard we talked about the Knicks. We will talk about the Knicks at some point. But I did want to have you on to talk a little bit about the Cavs, who I don't want to say they're struggling, but they've had a little bump in the road. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I think struggling is actually a fair description of what's going on. I, yeah. I do. Okay, and I guess just to talk about that, because, of course, uh, now the Knicks and the Cavs are inexorably tied forever uh, due to Donovan Mitchell landing in Cleveland, just as everybody expected. Um, and I... So, like, it, this is, like, a weird thing where um, the problems that the Cavs are having are, like, they're very different problems than whatever the problems the Knicks are having are. Um and I think it's interesting, but like, I, I don't think there's any question that like, if you were in the Cavs position, you have to make the Mitchell trade. But I do think it's interesting to like, 
look at some of the stuff that's going on with this team and just think about how that can like it it just kind of brings up some of the stuff that inevitably happens when you do make a star trade when you do cash in a bunch of your chips be it in terms of depth be it in terms of assets um because effectively at this point like cleveland is kind of dead in the water is the wrong term but like they're stuck in terms of the roster because they just don't have a lot of flexibility in that sense uh that's not a terrible thing necessarily because you have chalked off the most important parts of team building which are having your all-stars foundational pieces however you want to phrase it um but i do think it's interesting looking at this team like i'm just looking at some of the play-by-play data and it's like it it looks like the team really takes off and this is interesting offensively both when like they're better when it's just one of Mitchell and Garland on the floor together. And I think some of that's probably like you're figuring stuff out and there's always weird noise and stuff, but like it's, this is like the always, this is always the thing, right? When you trade for a star and you combine them as like, how they, how do they figure it out? Um, How has that worked? And like, what issues are they having that you notice when they're playing together? Yeah, so it's actually funny. Like, I don't think it is inherently Mitchell and Garland playing together that's the problem. What so, and I think part of the problem is the Cavs have this great start, right? I think at some point we were like 10 and 2 or something. It's like mm-hmm. it was a great, great start. Yeah, and, the, and, and they beat the Celtics pressure, twice. They like yeah, beat the Celtics twice, pressure. which is great wins. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then pressure built, right? They beat the Lakers twice too. Like, then pressure built. Like, Lakers suck, but. Or, or don't suck, but they're not great. But, like, same idea, right? Big market team and pressure builds. And I think JB, has been, JB Bickerstaff has been overreacting to problems that are emerging. So, like, you guys and Knicks were actually the first team to, like, really use this defense against us. And it just, like, we lost the game pretty significantly. And then ever since that game, everybody does it, which is... I mean, it's ostensibly like a double drop, right? You're that you play two bigs or one big and one longer wing, and they both drop into the paint, and basically each one guards one of the Cavs' bigs, and then the perimeter players blitz Mitchell and Garland. And the reason that works is the third guy that would be on the perimeter in that sense is either Lamar Stevens, who like at least is willing to shoot, but he can't shoot. Interesting. Uh, and then the second is he's really cooking. Coro. Yeah, yeah, well, he and Okoro played 40 minutes total last night, and neither got a point. Um, but Okoro's playing a lot in those minutes, too. And Okoro not only can't shoot, but he doesn't shoot. And so teams just don't guard him because you don't have to, which frees up the ability for that that second big or that bigger wing to just drop into the paint, which means Garland and Mitchell kind of just at that point have to drive and hope they can make a miracle happen. Mitchell has done a lot of like step back threes and step back mid range jumpers that seem to work really well. Like it actually worked pretty well against you guys too. But that that's not like a reliable shot outcome, right? The, and right. the Cavs started the season with a lot of off ball movement from the second they inbounded the ball. Like I mean, I, I was reading like Mike Prada's new book about spacing. And he talks a lot about this, that the Warriors from the second they inbound ran all of this off-ball movement. And so even before they're at the half-court line, the defense is already not sure where to be. And the Cavs did a lot of that to start the season. 
And I really think that game we lost against you guys against the Knicks was when teams really started just figuring out, like, we don't even need to worry about that because we're just going to drop two guys in the paint. And no matter what they do off ball, we're going to gamble that third guy can't shoot a three. Uh, why J.D. Bickerstaff hasn't played Chetty Osman is weird to me. But also, if your season hinges on Chetty Osman being a starter or Dean Wade <laughs> being a starter, like, you're not in a good spot. Yeah, I think I think the wing. I mean, the, the, and this was always like pretty obvious coming into the season that the wing would be like the weakness of the team and just general three point shooting. And like, I do think having Rubio come in will help a little bit because he can get on ball. So now you can leverage Mitchell and um, Garland off ball. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Bickerstaff tries all three of those guys together with Mobley and Allen and just see if like that can juice up the offense, improve the spacing. Um, but I, I actually, so I want to go back to what you're talking about with the Knicks game. So the first time we played the played you guys, you're just getting wide open three after wide open three after wide open. Kevin Lovett's best game is in the Cavs uniform. So yeah, that was yeah. insane. He was insane. Um, but like it's it's also one of those things where it's like, were some of those threes contested? Sure. Like, was you know obviously you have an out of body shooting experience. Okay, that's like that's some of it is bad luck, but some of that is just like the Knicks were not. You, you're not feeling them, right? Like Evan Fournier out there on the perimeter, like nobody is feeling that guy at all. It doesn't matter if he's right in your grill. Like you you know he's not going to really like block your shot, pick the ball, anything. Like so you're not feeling any of them. And that's kind of like what was going on. And that's why I thought, I thought Bickerstaff, like I generally tend to like him. Like I think that he's tried a lot of shit and I think that's pretty cool. And like he's clearly improved as a coach from, what he was in Houston and all that stuff. But like, I thought his quotes after the Knicks game were really weird. Like he was like, Oh, well we got the shots that like, we got exactly what we thought. We just didn't make any threes. And I'm like, like I watched that game twice and I'm watching it. And I'm like, yeah, like you got some open threes and like, yeah, you missed some, but like, look at the threes. A lot of those threes you're getting, like you're not, they were not in rhythm threes or they're like threes that you work really hard to get where it's like, five, six, seven passes have to happen. Or, like, Mitchell has to, like, you know, dribble into the paint, draw four guys, and then, like, throw it over his head to somebody in the corner. These are not, like, easy threes that you're producing. It was not the same thing. And I just thought that comment was really weird. And it almost felt like... It felt like he was just trying to, like... I don't even want to say deflect it, because it wasn't deflecting, but he was kind of, like, dismissing the struggles that were apparent in that game. And I, I just know. I, I just felt it was really, like odd and somewhat dismissive of like what I thought was like easily the Knicks' best defensive performance to that point. And honestly, even since then, like I know the Knicks have had a really nice run of defensive performances here, but like that, that one really stood out. I mean, what was the final scores like 92, 81 yeah. to hold any team in the NBA nowadays to 81 points is crazy to hold that team uh, to 81 points is wild. Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that was weird, but but I do. I I haven't watched too much of the Cavs since then. I watched a little. I watched the second half of the game yesterday. Feels like I like they're getting off to poor starts. And yeah, I, I guess like I don't really know what they're gonna do with the wing situation. Like we mentioned, like I the I think Rubio can help. But even then, it's like you know you're gonna go into a series against let's say Boston or something in the playoffs. And like let's be real, ultimately this Cavs team, you make the trade they make. Like it's nice that they're young. But at the end of the day, like you make that trade, like you're, you should be judged as a contender. Like you're, you're trying to win it all. And so like, 
I just look at them and I'm like, I think they'll beat the shit out of the Sixers. I, I think that's a terrible matchup for Philly. I like, I actually think they match up pretty well with Milwaukee. I, I but it's like weird. I know they beat Boston twice. I, I think that's a rough matchup for them. Uh, I like all the wings that they have that they can throw out there. You assume that at some point, you know, Horford's going to be healthy. Robert Williams gets back. I know that it, it looks like the six, the the Celtics are learning that apparently you don't get to shoot forty eight percent from three for an entire season. Uh, the last couple of games, but like I just that's a matchup for me where it's like, yes, the Celtics do struggle guarding guards, <laughs> um, but like, but like you look at what they did in that playoff run last year, and I just think like. That's going to be a rough matchup for Cleveland unless they can figure out they don't need an awesome 3 and D guy. They don't need some dynamic shot creator. But even getting somebody like, I don't know, like I, I don't really love the idea of Jay Crowder at the 3 in 2022. But like I do think like even getting somebody like Jay Crowder could be really useful for them. Yeah, so on the Jay Crowder note, I would actually would be highly surprised if it's Jay Crowder for a number of reasons, but one is I don't that, think he enjoyed his time in Cleveland, right? No, no, and he <laughs> left in a really bad spot with ownership. So, uh, but two is, no matter what everybody with the Cavs says, like, if LeBron at any point says, I want to come back and retire as a Cav, the Cavs will make that happen. And the one way that won't happen is if Jay Crowder's on the team, because LeBron and Jake Crowder despise each other. Uh, but but also, like, I agree with you on the fit. And just to kind of address a few things, one is the JB point. I think JB's a great coach. Like, I, I legitimately think, like, his ability to develop players, I mean, the fact that Dean Wade is, like, a viable starter for at least, like, a below-average team or a team like the Cavs, or you just need a body at that three, like, that is credit to JB Bickerstaff. The fact that Lamar Stevens can play NBA minutes, that's credit to J.B. Bickerstaff. Like, he's, and Garland was trashed before J.B. came in. So, like, J.B.'s a great player development coach. I think he's ballsy as can be. Like, like as you said, he tries shit, but, like, he tries so much shit. And I think part of what's happening now is, right, it's like, okay, the Cavs obliterate everybody to start the season. And they come close and beat Boston twice. And the only team that really gave us trouble early on was Toronto. Right? And so then it's like JB feels like, okay, if a problem emerges, I need to really work to fix it. And so Milwaukee was the first problem because Brooke Lopez was just a... It, I mean, this season overall, Brooke Lopez, I mean, looks like beyond an all-star. Like, he looks like uh, on that second superstar next to Giannis. Like, he has been incredible this year. Uh, but but Brooke Lopez gave us a lot of trouble. And then JB does some adjustments after that, but he, including against teams that aren't Milwaukee, where like he really started to separate the Allen and Mobley minutes, which was weird. He started playing a Coro a lot more, and I think that was like a reaction to we need somebody to throw up against Giannis. But I mean a Coro <laughs> can't shoot. And and whenever you watch the Cavs, when a Coro comes in, you notice this. I I I think Okoro is a pretty solid man defender. Like, if you don't ask him to do too much team defense, he's pretty good. Mm. But he's terrible at everything else. Maybe, like, ball handling he's not terrible at, but, like, that's not enough. And so teams just don't defend him. And when he's playing out there on defense, teams throw him in a lot of motion because they know he'll get he'll make the wrong move. And so I think JB's almost overreacting to problems. 
And so that gets to kind of this like final point that you brought up, which is they don't have a wing. Like, honestly, I think if this team goes into the playoffs, if playoffs started tomorrow, Lamar Stevens is probably the starting three. Maybe if Dean Wade gets healthy, it's him. Or maybe if Rubio gets healthy, it's Mitchell. Right? Like, I think those are your three options. And those are all terrible options. Right? Like, Rubio, Garland, Mitchell could work in spots. But that you don't want that as your starting lineup. And I think that's why the Cavs are getting off to bad starts. Is that teams know... I, I think Garland's defense is actually pretty good. I saw something today that Garland, like, is taking pretty easy assignments. But his, like differential like from when he's guarding the player versus any other player is pretty good so i think he's like a pretty good man defender but what ends up happening is mitchell is not like there's all this stuff oh mitchell's so much better on defense this year and like i mean yeah compared to the playoffs last year he's much better on defense but he admitted that he wasn't trying in the playoffs like he he basically was like yeah like I, i know i have to do better than that like so teams are attacking Mitchell and they're attacking like the Cavs pose this issue, which is if you want to drive, you are going to run into at least one of Mobley or Allen likely both, and you will not score. <laughs> and so teams have figured out like, okay, we're just going to pass the ball around the perimeter a lot. See if we can throw off their scheme and then attack that way. And it doesn't really work that well. Like Cavs still have a really, really elite defense. I mean, they're they're the best defense in the league, right? I think yeah. it's, not, yeah. it's not even close but, right but, now. Yeah, Right, exactly. But it works enough to get points. And meanwhile, again, basically since we played you guys, everybody is doing this like, dr- like double drop or like one and a half drop where, like, I mean, Collins looked like a superstar defender last night. And Collins is not a superstar defender. Like, he's not. Like, that Spurs team doesn't have those players. And that's what he looked like last night. Because Garland and Mitchell want to drive. And if you're dropping one to two bigs every play, and those guards are playing with Allen and Mobley, there's just not space. Yeah, I mean, part of this is like... And like, so, one of the... I don't want to say it was a concern, but one of the reasons I was like, I think people are jumping the gun maybe a year too soon about like the Cavs being an immediate contender, because... I don't like putting that on a second-year player because, to me, the bet was like, okay, Mobley's going to be able to shoot close to league average-ish this year um, just in terms of working the spacing because, obviously, Allen, like, I know I've seen him take a couple, like, mid-range jumpers, but that's not exactly the space of the floor. The three spot, even with Dean Wade, like, he's a fine shooter, but he's not, like, nobody's... He's not, like, a Larry Markinen-level shooter out there. Um and like you're not going to play love at the three. Love isn't going to close games, especially on the fucking playoffs. Like, so you the big bet here is that Mobley was going to be a reasonable shooter. That obviously has not happened. I don't even know what the hell he's shooting right now. It's not good. Um, but like, he's better than last year. Like I will say that. Like Mobley has expanded his range from last year. It's not good. I I, I don't disagree. But like it, a lot of the Cavs' effective offense last night against the Spurs came from Mobley. Spacing out more into the mid range, like more by that. Yeah, level. yeah. I mean, I, and I know that, like, that's definitely part of it. But it's like, you know, he's shooting what twenty four percent from three right now. Like, right. he's not he's bare, he yet. that yet. Yeah, and like, I, this is this was always my like big thing is like, I love Mobley. I think he's going to be an awesome. I think he'll be a star. Um, but like, you're asking a lot of a second year player to just be like, hey, guess what? We're competing for championships now. 
And it's like, wait, wait, what what are we doing? Um, and it's like he's still in the part of his career where like he's gotta figure shit out. Like I was listening to um I was listening to SI's pod open floor with Herring, and he was like, he's like, Yeah, you know, I don't even know if they really need a three and D guy because like you know, Mobley can just defend those wings. Like, you know, Garnett could probably have done that. And he's kind of like modern day Garnett. And I'm like, like, can we, like, let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Like, like, I think that there'll be a time when that's like a thing he can do. And he can still do that right now in like instances. But to be like, hey, go into the play, like, go into a playoff series and be like, hey, just, we need you to check Jason Tatum real quick. Like, that's not a fair expectation of him. Um, and I just want to, um, yeah, like, and I guess, like, ultimately, I'm just curious to see what this team does because, like, you know, you mentioned Chetty Osman. I think he's been, I think he has, like, the highest on off on the team of the regular. You know, I actually think Chetty's been great this year. I don't know why he doesn't have to play more. I mean, he's yeah. been really great. And I, but, and I just, I, yeah, and I just, like, like, okay, maybe there's something going on there. Like, they, I, I think he's got, like, what, another year in his contract left after this. So mm-hmm. he might want to maybe get a trade or something. But, like, um, I think they just have to use him to get a different wing then. Like, it just has to happen. And I think, like, you know, some of this is Chetty's really good, but he's also not exactly, like, you know, some knockdown three-point shooter either, right? Like, he's he's not that pure shooter that I think they really kind of need to make this lineup sing. Um, can they get that guy? I don't know. Like, the, the, this is the thing, right? Like, you look at a guy like like the guy everybody would want, and I think that a lot of contenders want right now, is is Bogdanovich and mm-hmm. like Bogdanovich would be awesome, but are you going to trade for Bogdanovich? I don't know. Like, and what do you even have to trade for him? Right. So it's like, like finding the type of shooter, the caliber of shooter that you need, who also kind of slots in on the wing, gives you a little bit more size there. It's just really hard for them. It's a really hard thing to figure out in season. Like it feels like one where they're going to have to wait to the off season and they're just going to deal with what they have right now. Wait till the offseason. I think in the offseason, they still have cap. They will have cap space, I believe. Uh, and they might also have, you know, access. No, they, they, they won't. It's a problem. Like oh, the so, problem oh right is now, it because the, the Mitchell trade, they used up the expirings, right? In that, yeah, that. and then they have Allen on a big contract. They have Garland on a max. And then eventually, they're going to have to sign mobility. And, like, I know Dan Gilbert's been willing to spend over the tax, like, before, but... That was when the team was like clearly going to the finals every year. This is a different situation. So you're going to have to nail the exception, basically. I mean, a guy like I would love for you guys to go after, and I actually am surprised more contenders aren't linked with him, given how he shot the last few years. But like, and you you had him before. Go get Alec Burks. Go get. Go oh, I get, love Alec Burks. Yeah, go, I would, go like Alec Burks is the guy. Like, if you get Alec Burks, like I feel much more confident about this. Not because I think Alec Burks is great, but he's actually like a really smart player. Yeah, I love. And he's him, a good dude. enough shooter. Yeah. yeah, I like I. Alec Burks, the other guy, like Richardson from the Spurs, is another guy that like, he mm. torched us last night. But generally speaking, like that's a guy that he has a better shot selection than Karis Levert. That kind of can do some of those Karis Leverty things. Levert, uh, we'll talk about. Yeah, Levert. I mean, so like the big problem <laughs> the Cavs have is Love is on a giant expiring, and Levert right. is on a giant expiring. And even with both of those contracts expire, the Cavs aren't under the cap. And I think like the the other problem is like so if you so if they expire right I think Lo- Love is going to come back he's going to come back at a reduced whatever yeah. the they'll they'll agree to some contract but like Levert Levert's expiring is tricky because it's like you don't want to lose that salary slot 
But like, what are you going to get for Levert, and what can you even attach? Like, so I mean, I, I don't think they would want Evan Fournier, given like how he's fallen off a cliff. But like, you know, can you take? I, I think you guys still have some second round picks, right? Like, can you attach a few second round picks to Levert and turn that into another guy who fits better? Like, maybe I don't know, but like, it's it's so hard to say because what the hell is Levert's trade value like? It feels like they bought high on him, and I kind of got why they did it. I have no problem with the risk they took there, um, but like that obviously tied up one of their picks. Like they're gonna owe yeah. they owe their pick this year, so like there's that part of it. Um, and then, yeah, it's just like he's obviously not a great fit with Mitchell and with Garland there, and with Rubio coming back. So it's like what you really need is to turn this slasher into more again of like an off ball player. Is there a team that's interested? I have no idea. Maybe, maybe not. Um, like I would try and look at a team like, like I think a guy like Malik Beasley from Utah would be yeah. really useful for you. Um, I don't know what the hell Danny Ainge wants. I mean, I know trader Danny always gets his price, but like he did what he ended up trading Beverly for basically nothing. He got Taylor yeah. Horton Tucker. He traded Bogdanovich for nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. nothing. I think they got Olenek and whatever. And yeah. I, I guess Olenek's having a decent season, but, like, I'd rather have Bogdanovich. Um, yeah, and Utah's already shown, like, a lot of what they did early in the season were just kind of fool's gold. Like, they, they had just incredibly hot shooting to start the year. Oh, it was it was ludicrous. And then, like, yeah, I mean, Markkinen is... I, I'm happy for him, but let's also, like... Is Larry Markkinen actually like a star? Probably not. No, he, he's a good player. He's but yeah. he's Larry fucking Markkinen. Like right, like he's not. <laughs> like I, he was great for the Cavs last year. Like I will die on this hill that like it's not surprising he's playing as well as he is in Utah. I mean, like he was really good last year, but he's Larry Markkinen, right? Like yeah. his really good is his ceiling. Yeah, and and I actually like I think both. I think JB Bickerstaff deserves a ton of credit where it's like. I've talked about this before, but it's like if Markinen played, and I'm, I don't even think this is really a criticism of Tibbs, but it's like if Markinen was on the Knicks, he would only play the four or the five. There's no chance Tibbs would ever look at him and be like, "Yeah, Markinen at three, let's do it." Like he wouldn't do it. And I think I think most coaches in the NBA would have looked at Markinen, like look at his first four years in the NBA, right? Like he's basically just playing the four and a little bit of five in Chicago. And like, yes, I know Boylan is a boomer and whatever, but like. Even, you know, Billy Donovan, who has tried stuff in his, like, historically. Wasn't doing it. Yeah, didn't do it. I think, and Bickerstaff, and, and actually, like, the front office, too, they deserve a lot of credit because they caught a lot of shit, I'm sure. I think you were pretty, like, skeptical of the move when they traded for him. I didn't, I thought it was stupid, but it's like, they had drafted Mobley, obviously. They had Allen in the fold by then, so you're like, wait, what is the plan here? Why are we getting Laurie Markkinen? But they, and... JB Bickerstaff clearly had a plan of like, hey, let's just try this at the three and see what happens. It worked. Guess what? Like, and they figured out and kind of it like, I don't want to say it saved his career, but it definitely like painted him in a new light. And he's really benefited from that. Utah's been play, playing him at the three a bunch too. Um, and I think like that's a big thing. But like, you know, it's just again, like his skill set as a shooter and the fact that he can play the three. Um, and the fact that like yeah, he's not a great defender, but you play him next to Mobley and Allen, all of a sudden, like, his defense is not problematic at all. And, right. um, yeah, like, finding... It's just, you have to make that trade 100 times out of 100. I will, like, literally never... You know, this is not, like, Minnesota trading for Gobert. This is not even the Hawks trading for DeJounte Murray, which was a much lesser haul, but to me, a way worse fit. I also think DeJounte... Or, that Donovan Mitchell is just a flat-out better player than, than DeJounte. And, like, you know, the Mitchell Gobert thing is weird, but 
let's be honest, Donovan Mitchell's skill set is way more important in the playoffs than Rudy Gobert's skill set, wherever it'll be. Um, but like, you have to take that risk. But I think obviously some of the issues that are coming up now are just the result of, you know, you trademarked in that deal. Sexton's gone. So that's a not, not that Sexton was a great fit, but he's also just a piece that you no longer have now to trade. Um, you know, you traded all your picks, like swaps, whatever you're, you're kind of just out of whatever you have. Uh, so they'll probably, they basically, I mean, aside from exceptions, this off season, you're looking at a situation where it's like, you're almost locked in trade wise, unless you can do, you know, like we talked about Levert in a couple seconds or whatever, you're really locked in probably until like the 2024 draft. And like, yeah, you can make a trade with that pick, but it's like, you're, it's it's really tough for them right now. So they've shown the ability to find talent in weird places. And, and I will say, like, a big thing for them that's kind of fucked them is, it sounds so ridiculous to say because he's barely played, but it's like Dylan Windler constantly being hurt is a problem because he's a guy they were probably like, we think he can shoot the shit out of the ball. We think he can play the three for us. You know, he could be our Sam Hauser, right? Like, but he, you're not getting anything from that guy right now. The NBA season is heating up and they're still so many unknown things going on like is philly good like we just talked about i don't know i'm not convinced i don't like their vibes or body language when i'm looking to get in on the action i bet with DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba new customers can bet just five dollars pre-game money line and any nba team to win their game and get 150 dollars in free bets if they do Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So I would be shocked if Levert isn't on the, or if Levert is on the team by the end of the season. And it's not because like, I dislike Levert. Like I had this tweet and I said, Levert is basically like Larry Hughes. And everybody's like, oh, Levert is so much better. But like Larry Hughes for the Wizards was this guy that was just like all around a solid player. Like he was a solid defender, a solid ball handler, could score a little bit. But his problem was Larry Hughes' entire offensive game was as a slasher. And when you're on a Wizards team, the, the expectation is to maybe make the playoffs, like to fight for it, and you play with Gilbert Arenas, that's a great skill set. When you go to the Cavs and you play with LeBron James, that's useless. And I think Levert is similar. I think Levert's actually a little bit better than Hughes was because Levert's actually, I think, a fairly like team-oriented player. But it's just not a fit. And, like, there's no, they're not going to extend him because if you extend him, you cannot resign Mobley. Well, I mean, again, you could, but the cost is just insane. So they're going to get rid of him. And if you don't trade him, that expiring doesn't do anything for you. Like, you're still under the cap, or you're still over the cap if he just expires and walks. And he hasn't been that great this year. And so I think Levert is going to get traded. Chetty Osman's a guy that's been asking for a trade for a while, uh, off and on, but everybody kind of knows he wants to go if he's not going to get major minutes. And I think they have a few seconds they can move, but like beyond that, unless some team wants Isaac Okoro or like 
I don't think they'll trade Dean Wade, just given the state of the current roster. But I guess if they could get like a real three and D wing, or even just a three wing, and like you worry about the D later, maybe Wade gets his trade bait. But like the only type of trade I can see the Cavs making, and I think they will do this, is you get a good player that can help you, like start on that as a three, and then you take back a fuckload of salary that's you're going to have for a few years. I think that's the move. And I don't know where that is. Like, I don't know what team that, that is attractive to. But I think that's the only move they have. That's only, unless some team is just dumb or, like, really values one of the Cavs players more than, like, the market. I, just, I think that's the only move they can make is a little vert trade where you take back salary. Yeah, I mean, so I'm curious about this. I'll throw this out there. You know, I, I tend to believe that if the team is as good as look, the metrics love the Cavs. I think looking out, forgetting you know the issues that we're talking about in the immediate term, long term, most everybody, I certainly do. I'm pretty bullish about where this team will end up. Um, but like you know, we're talking about how can you find different pieces to put around you know these guys. There's a world, right? There's a world where Evan Mobley never becomes some dynamic three-point shooter or something. Now, and there's also a world, and I think you and I have talked about this, and a lot of people agree, long-term, his best position is likely to be the five. That doesn't mean he can't play with another big, but I do think it might mean that he has to play with a big that has a different skill set from Jared Allen. Jared Allen's really good. You can argue that, like, he is the single biggest reason for why the defense has performed at the level it has since last season when he's healthy, especially they've basically, they've basically been like the number one defense in the league. And when he's healthy, um, like might be a time, maybe in a year or two years or something where you're looking at this and you're like, you know what, to get the type of wing talent, perimeter talent, scoring talent, whatever that we need to put around Garland, Mitchell, Mobley, we might have to move this guy. And I think that's like something that people haven't discussed because to his credit, like Allen has made a leap since he got to Cleveland that I, I certainly didn't expect. I don't think most people expected it. Maybe just like the diehard Nets fans. So shout out to them, all three of them. Um, but like, like he's made, it's just like a really interesting thing where I'm looking at this. And I'm like, you know, I don't think there's a chance in hell they'd ever trade Mobley. Um, yeah. And it's like, you're not going to trade Mitchell because you, you just traded the whole boat for him. Maybe if he goes, you know, maybe if it's his last year of his contract, he's like, I'm not staying here. Trade me. Yeah. Maybe that's the only scenario I could see. Garland seems thrilled. He just signed his five-year fucking massive. Yeah, and, and Garland's potential still. Like, everybody's like, oh, he's not been as good this year. But by the numbers, he's been just as good this year as he was last year. It's just that, right, he's playing with Mitchell, and when you watch them side by side, it's like, well, Mitchell's it's a, a superstar. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. like, yeah, I, they're not going to get rid of Garland. I think the Cavs view Garland like a Damian Lillard type talent, like this guy that he, when he reaches his peak, not it, but when he is going to be a guy that if he was your second option, you win a title, like that good. Yeah, no, and I, I so and I just think it's like really interesting to look at this because it's like the the Mobley Allen thing, you know, it has worked, but I do think that like there is real questions about I don't want to say viability because I think it would be viable in the regular season for the next 
fucking 10 years if they want it. But like, you're not in it for the regular season, right? I mean, no team ultimately is. You're trying to win a championship. And I do wonder, like, is there a ceiling there on that that remains in place unless Mobley really stents his range out? And, like, I don't think anybody can say for sure, like, oh, yeah, no, Mobley's going to become some volume, like, league average three-point shooter, right? Like, I don't even yeah. know how you can say that. So it's... I don't know. I, I think the Allen Mobley thing is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, right. So the Cavs are winning games, even during this like streak where they're struggling based off this defense, right? They can just lock teams down. Like, even less than against San Antonio. And that fourth quarter, the defense woke up, and San Antonio couldn't buy a bucket. And, like, I know the Cavs lost, but it, it was not because of that fourth quarter. They destroyed this person in the fourth quarter. And largely just based on defense. So as long as that's the case, they're not going to get rid of Allen. At some point, the Cavs may need to have the conversation that having the number one defense, if we don't have spacing, doesn't matter. Like, it will win us enough regular season games based off Mitchell being a superstar and Garland being really good and Mobley developing. But it, it, at the end of the day, come playoffs, is not a viable way to, to win. And like you saw that last night, right? The Cavs defense locked in, but they couldn't buy a three because there's no spacing. And when you can't buy a three, it's much harder to make those comebacks. It's much harder to buy a basket. If Mobley becomes like a decent, not even average, but like for a big in the NBA, a decent shooter, then this becomes viable. I think that's unlikely. I think people may write... Mobley gets compared to Giannis, and it's like, it's just a different player. Even Giannis is a kid, like, Giannis came in the league as a wing because he wasn't as tall, right? So yeah, Giannis grew, but that's not, he was never trained to be a big, whereas Mobley's played his entire career as center, right? So I, I think that Mobley the better kind of, and I don't mean this like I think he's going to become this, but if you want to make a superstar comparison, is a four, I think the best comparison is like a Kevin Garnett type player. Um, now, if you want to make it as a five, that changes things. And I think that, again, brings him into this weird, we've never seen a player like him type talent. But so the question needs to be, if you put him at the five, like I think even this year, when he plays the five, the Cavs offensive numbers are pretty, pretty good. Like, it, because it opens up the floor. Uh, and that is assuming Okoro is not playing or Stevens isn't playing while he's at the five. And I don't remember the lineup data in that situation, but I think it's pretty good. Our house is a mess. Come 
on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.